All right, so tonight we're, we're jumping back into our series uh, on the book of Genesis. And since it's been two weeks, I want to remind us where we left off. So if you can recall, we're still in chapter two. And as we mentioned before, chapter two of the book of Genesis gives us a, a more detailed account of the God's creation of the first man and the first woman ever, Adam and Eve. And in this way, in Genesis 2, God reveals to us his original design for both man and woman. And so four weeks ago, we looked at what we called biblical manhood. And we answered the question, what does it mean to be a man? What's God's design for men? And then the following week, we covered biblical womanhood, asking the same question. What does it mean to be a, a woman according to God's design? And in the end, we concluded that in the beginning, God created man and woman to, to live and, and to work together as co-cultivators, co-protectors of the garden under God's authority. They were to be perfect complements to one another, providing exactly, exactly what the other needed to fulfill their life's calling. Now, Adam and Eve were not the only the first man and the first woman ever created, but they also were the first man and first woman ever wedded together in holy matrimony. That is, they're the first married couple ever in the Bible. And in the same way God reveals his design for maleness and femaleness at creation, he also reveals his design for marriage through Adam and Eve. And so that's what we're going to focus on tonight. God's design for marriage according to Genesis 2. So let's go ahead and read our passage, pray, and we're going to dig in. So Genesis 2 verses 24 and 25 begins, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just express right now how much we need you. We admit, we acknowledge that apart from your work of the Holy Spirit, um, changing our hearts, convicting us of, us of sin, enlightening us to the truth, uh, we will not understand. We will not have spiritual wisdom. We will not grow. We will not respond in obedience and wisdom. Um, and so, Father, we just pray now that you would be with us as we study your word, seeking to hear your voice. Oh, God, please speak to us. We need to hear from you, especially on marriage. Father, teach us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so our passage begins with a, uh, an important word, and that word is therefore, therefore. And whenever we come across a therefore, as faithful students of the Bible, of God's word, you, you should pause and, and note that whatever is about to follow the therefore is, is grounded and based on what came before, what came before. And so if we uh, go back a few verses, we'd see that God just hand delivered the first woman to the first man. And what's recorded is the man's immediate response. 
So look at your cross-reference sections with me. Starting at Genesis 2, verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so our two verses tonight, which serve as the foundation for God's design in marriage, are grounded, are based in this event, in this reality. In other words, because woman is the perfect complement to man, because she is the essential helper fit for him in every way, spiritually, mentally, and physically, because woman was literally taken out of man so that they share a, a physical correspondence to one another, because woman is everything man needs, and man is everything woman needs in order for them both to successfully keep and watch the garden to fulfill God's design. It says because of that, therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Students, marriage then is inseparably linked to God's beautiful and good design for man and woman. It's inseparably linked. This means that according to God, there is no such thing as same-sex marriage. It doesn't exist. They may be called something like same-sex civil union, where the government recognizes a couple as legally married, but that's not marriage to God. Marriage can only be between a man and woman because that's what it is by definition. So it's like you can't have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without peanut butter or without jelly because both ingredients define what it is. It's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The same is true for marriage. You can't have marriage with two men and you can't have marriage with two women because God defines it as a relationship between a man and a woman. So, so now that we looked at that word, therefore, which is critical, there are a few other key words that help us understand God's design for marriage. So look back at verse 24 with me. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife. So what's important for us to know is that both these expressions, to leave and to hold fast, are often used in Scripture within the context of a covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with that concept, covenant, it's very simple. Let me give you a brief definition. You ready? A covenant is a solemn, wholehearted, genuine commitment to fulfill certain promises and or obligations made by one or two parties. One more time. A covenant is a solemn, 
wholehearted, genuine commitment that says, I will fulfill my promises to you. I will fulfill my responsibilities to you that I have made. That's a covenant. And the expressions to, to leave and, and to hold fast are covenantal language in the Bible. For example, look at your cross-reference section. Uh, in Deuteronomy 31.6, the people of Israel, they're about to invade the land God promised to give them. But there's a problem. They, they feel overmatched. The armies of the inhabitants uh, are bigger and stronger than Israel's. And so to encourage the fearful people, Moses, their leader, he reminds them of God's covenant. Moses says to the people, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for, this is why, it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That word translated forsake here is the same word translated as leave in our passage. Moses then is saying, don't be scared. Don't, don't fear them. God's covenant with you says he's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. Don't be scared when you go against these armies. Don't be fearful. God has made a covenant with you. So, so to leave then, if you look at that point in a lot of other places in scripture, it's covenantal language. It's the language used when two people make a covenant. This means that when our passage says that a man shall leave his father and his mother, it's not talking geographically. A man doesn't need to move thousands of miles away for his parents, from his parents to get married, although that would benefit some marriages. Uh, this is not geographical language but rather covenantal relational language. In other words, when a man marries a woman, her well-being, her protection, her provision becomes his highest priority. Besides God himself, the most important human relationship in a husband's life is his relationship with his wife. That's what it means to leave his father and his mother. Now, the expression to hold fast, it's, it's also covenantal language. Literally, though, in, in certain contexts, it can refer to uh, how bones cling to skin, uh, a hand tightly gripping a sword, a, a belt securely fastened to a man's waist, or, or how the scales of a crocodile are, are knitted together. Hence, the word, uh, the, the phrase to hold fast, it, it works really well to, as an expression to describe close intimacy, uh, an intense affection, devotion, and loyalty. It, it conveys this idea of sticking close, staying true and faithful, and never abandoning them. And this is exactly how the word is used in Deuteronomy 10.20. When Moses urges the people of Israel, look at your cross-reference section. He says, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. That is, you shall commit yourself to loving and serving the Lord. He must have your utmost devotion. So, so then to put it all together, 
then we already concluded that according to Genesis 2, marriage is between a man and a woman. And now after looking at these two expressions, to leave and to hold fast, we can also conclude that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. A solemn commitment and promise to one another. It is, it is a relationship where both man and woman wholeheartedly commit to prioritize their marriage above all other human relationships. It is a, a covenant where both man and woman say to one another, I forsake all others. I, I leave all others and I, and I fully commit myself to you. I am yours and you are mine. And so that leads us to our third key expression. So look back at verse 24. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. To be one flesh first describes the physical union of a man and woman in marriage that occurs in sexual intimacy. They literally become one. And therefore, sex serves as this concrete expression. It's a symbol of what is actually happening in the marriage covenant. In other words, in other words when a man and woman get married, they are committing to give their entire selves to one another. They are committing to permanently function as one in every way, economically, legally, relationally, and spiritually. Hence, as a married couple, Tiffany and I, we share the same home, the same kitchen, the same bathrooms, the same bank accounts, the same bills, the same children, the same cars. Our entire life. Is, is merged together as one. And the purpose of sex is to symbolize and rehearse and confirm that oneness. So that when a man and woman come together, they're saying, I completely belong to you. And no one else. I hold nothing back. You have all of me. And I have all of you. And, and what's amazing is that not only does sex confirm and reveal the oneness in a marriage covenant, but according to the Apostle Paul, sex serves an even greater purpose. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Look at that cross-reference section. His words are staggering. Paul writes, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he quotes our passage as the foundation for marriage, and then he says these words, these words. This mystery, that is, this one flesh covenantal union between a man and a woman is profound. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This means that God, in His infinite wisdom, has 
appointed sex in marriage to reveal the greatest mystery ever. A mystery that comes from the, the high and holy sacred places of heaven. A, a mystery that angelic burning beings, they long to look at and, and adore and, and praise God for. The mystery that in eternity past, God loved us so much, he decided to send his pure and holy son to die for undeserving, no good sinners like us. The mystery that by faith, if you trust in Jesus, if you call upon his name, if you seek to love and serve him, you will be united to Christ in an inseparably, uh, inseparable bond forever by the Holy Spirit. You will be united to Christ in a way so that you are counted as one, one with Jesus. In a covenant that cannot be nullified, where Jesus promises that he will never, ever forsake you. He will never, ever leave you. A covenant where he promises to forgive every one of your sins and grant you eternal life. That's the ultimate purpose of sex. That's what sex is all about. It's about the gospel. How God in eternity past planned to save sinners by uniting them to the Holy Son of God by faith. And this is why sex is so special. It's so sacred. It's not some recreational activity you do with someone you like. It's, it's not trivial and light as the world says. It's, it's weighty, it's heavy, it's holy because it reflects the greatest and highest sacred mystery there is. God's plan to save us through Jesus. And, and this also means that sex is not dirty. It's, it's not shameful. It's not nasty. Uh, let's look at verse 25, which summarizes the climax of the first marriage. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word naked obviously refers to nudity. Adam and Eve didn't have clothes on. They had no coverings, but their nakedness also symbolizes something deeper. For one, it symbolized their inner purity and wholesomeness. Think about it. For Adam and Eve to be fully exposed before one another and God, and yet there was not the slightest hint of shame. There was no fear, no judgment, no doubt, no insecurity about an imperfection, no danger, no worry, just this complete and total sense of acceptance and freedom. That could only happen in a, in, a, in a world where they were both unstained by evil and sin. And, and two, it symbolizes that the fact that they were naked and unashamed, it shows us that God affirms our sexuality as human beings. He affirms our sexuality. Our bodies, our maleness, 
our femaleness, our sexual organs are given to us by God as a gift to bring about his holy purposes. Remember the very first command given to human beings? The very first command given to human beings. Genesis 1.28, when God says to his image bearers, what does he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Brothers and sisters, there is only one way to multiply and fill the earth. And therefore, it is without question, sex is neither trivial nor dirty. It is a holy and sacred gift to be enjoyed by a man and woman within the safe confines of a covenant where that man says, I am yours. And that woman says, I am yours. And they commit to love one another for all the days of their life as they reveal that Jesus came to die for sinners and they you're united to him by faith. And so then, according to Genesis 2, when we put it all together, God's design for marriage is for it to be a covenant made between a man and a woman to exclusively give all of themselves to each other, which ultimately reveals the mystery of Jesus' covenant relationship with his people, the church. That's, that's God's design for marriage. That's God's design for sex. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we receive so many false messages. We, we, we have so many distorted beliefs. Uh, our, we, are, we all have sexual brokenness. And so, Father, we just need you to come heal us. We need your forgiveness. We need you to open our eyes to see the sacred beauty and glory of sex and how it is special and important and only reserved for the marriage relationship. Father, help us see that it's more than what the world says it is. Help us have a high view of marriage. Father, help us in these areas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.